Song 505 was just announced, and we'll mark that and use that at the appropriate time in the service this morning. As we are so thankful that each of us have been able to assemble and to gather with the character of health, the disposition of heart and mind that is characteristic of us, what a blessing it is to pour forth our gratitude, our thanksgiving to the great God of heaven who has made that possible. And certainly as you give thought to the sadness of one of those announcements, certainly the sickness that besets so many in our congregation is something that weighs heavily upon us. And in addition to that, that bad news that our building was broken into at some point this, this past week, as disheartening and as troubling as that might be, we certainly can be aware of the fact that that kind of thing, the godlessness, the iniquity of such goes on in this world. We can be marvelously thankful that there is a gospel of Jesus Christ that could even touch the heart of such a person as that and help them appreciate the sin and the error of it and to make amends in, in his or her life. It is true that that computer that was mentioned in some other articles apparently were, were taken. At this point, we should perhaps keep in mind that computer, as Brother Ted mentioned a moment ago, belongs to the church. It was one this congregation had purchased for usage here, and certainly we we're saddened to see it as well as the other articles taken. Hopefully, in due course, we can make sure that all that is replaced, perhaps with insurance funds or other matters. It is true this morning that we have a, a Christie's allowed us to use her computer for a moment just, just to make it through this lesson. The, uh, the particular uh, way in which we do that is I store those PowerPoint files on a jump drive and just bring them. So we'll use this one today to display this lesson entitled A Flood of Waters. As you might have noted in the reading from Genesis 6 verse 17, there was of course a rather notable event in the ancient period of this world. So notable that that might be an appropriate way to begin the lesson today. Amazing, isn't it, that in so many cases there are events that have really made a gigantic difference in the way that life has proceeded upon this planet. For example, I've just chosen to list a few. You no doubt could add others. As great as Alexander the Great was and the greatness of his empire when he passed away, Things simply weren't the same in terms of that kingdom that resulted. Secondly, you might recall that when Columbus did successfully cross the Atlantic and opened up the easy set of channels to a new world, that too seemingly changed everything. It is to that you might also add when scientists figured out how to build a bomb and did so, of course, in the decade of the 1930s and early 1940s, things really haven't been the same since. Those kind of events, as great and as momentous as they were, are overshadowed by, of course, those events surrounding the death of Jesus and His resurrection three days later. Those truly have changed the mindset and reality of so many. I would invite you to consider this morning with me another event recorded in the Bible that was so momentous for another reason. That flood that took place in the day of Noah... If we revisit the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, it is for the case of that study this morning, I would invite each of us to think about, at least for a few moments, some lessons that might touch our lives greatly as we give thought to that flood again. It would be quick to say this, though. No single event in the history of earth has shaped the surface features of this planet like that flood of Noah's day. The seas, the oceans, the mountains, the valleys, the gorges, so many etched out by the great torrent of waters then have remained to this day. 
much like that Grand Canyon out in the western part of our land. Our interest today will not be so much in geography, nor will it be in the other features of the rock structures. Our interest will be in some lessons that can help you and me really prepare for the day of judgment as we think back to this scene of the flood of Noah's day. It is with that in mind, let's rehearse the events that led to that flood. The opening chapters of Genesis set before us the following. That God, of course, fashioned this universe and all things in it. And as a part of that, on the sixth day of His creative effort, He fashioned Adam and Eve. These two, and at that point, there was no sin. They lived in beautiful harmony with each other and with God and even with His creation. It was a fantastic thing to behold in so many ways. However, we well remember in chapter 3 that sin entered the scene. When Satan tempted Eve and she partook of that forbidden fruit, gave to Adam and he ate of it as well, and they had disobeyed God. And upon sin entering this world, we well notice how sad, how ter terribly, terribly sad. In the chapters that followed, we each remember that the scene of events seemed to get worse and worse. First of all, there was the additional sins in chapter number 4. We well remember that multiple wives were taken, for example. We well remember other situations and scenes culminating in this. As the earth's population grew, it seems the sin grew right along with it. People were choosing to rebel against God. They were choosing to ignore His commandments. They were choosing to do what they wanted as opposed to what God commanded. By the time we reach the sixth chapter of Genesis, we notice now that things had become basically as this. In verse number 5 of that chapter, the text simply says that every thought of men's heart was only evil continually. The imaginations, the thinking process, the matters on which they invested their attention and time, God said it was only evil continually. As you give thought to that special character, namely Noah, it is in the next two verses it says, but. And that word so often means contrast. Whereas there was great iniquity and sinfulness in the world, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. It was he who is described as a righteous and just man. At this point, give thought to what we've seen. From that time of creation, 1,656 years have passed. The people during that age lived a long, long time. We remember Methuselah lived 969 years, for example. Adam lived 930. But those long lifespans led to a great increase in earth's population. When we come to, again, this period of the flood, 1,656 years after the creation, we find that God now made this statement. In Genesis 6... Verse number 6, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And thus we have God's decree. Sinfulness, iniquity, ungodliness had reached the point that God, as He surveyed and looked upon it, it repented Him in His heart. It was a sorrowful thing for Him to note the sinfulness that was so rampant. 
that men's iniquities and their thoughts of their heart was so evil and in a continuous way. God said, this is what I will do. I will bring a flood of waters. I will destroy the man that I've made and the creeping things and the animals. It's as if God intended to begin anew, to start afresh. That verse in verse number 17, the one that Gary read for us earlier, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. God thus made a determination and as He was aware of Noah's faithfulness, He gave Noah some instructions to build an ark. A large vessel, a boat if you please, and he and his family, that is to say his wife, their three sons and then their three wives, they were allowed and blessed by God to enter that ark and to remain safe and secure while the earth's surface was ravaged with those torrential flood waters. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, that commandment that God gave to Noah, he carried out perfectly. Verse 22 says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He built that ark. He constructed it in the way that God said. And when the right time came, God gave him order to go into the ark and God shut him in. And then, for 40 days and 40 nights, the waters, of course, from above poured forth upon this planet. And you might notice with me verse number 11 of Genesis chapter 7. For not only did the water come from above, but the text says... In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So indeed, the windows of heaven poured forth water upon this planet, but not only that, the fountains of the great deep were burst asunder and water was coming from beneath, it was coming from above. And at this point, the only ones that survived... The only humans that survived were those eight souls aboard that ark. For 40 days and 40 nights, the flood waters were here as it rained. But even after the rain stopped, that water as it rested on the surface of earth did so for a long, long time, for many, many months. And so it was, as you reached near the bottom of that slide, the time came those waters finally moved away and occupy those regions apparently you and I now call the oceans, and that ark came to rest on dry land. Finally, as the door was opened and Noah and his family came forth, they came forth to a land that God had purged in the sense He'd cleansed it and washed it. No longer were there humans here to do the kind of sin He had seen. Even the animals, those land-dwelling ones, had also perished. With all that in mind, think with me about the tremendous change that took place in this earth from the time before the flood happened until the time afterward. There are many lessons that you and I can also learn from that flood. And it is the case for the remainder of the lesson this morning. I would invite us to give some thought to what a few of those lessons are. First of all, why did the flood come? What prompted it? For after all, you and I have now seen that never since then has there been another flood like it. May we be quick to say, it wasn't just some weather pattern. It wasn't just some happening in terms of weather. God brought this flood of waters. 
Did you note the language with me in Genesis 6, 17? God said, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters. It was the God of heaven and His judgmental verdict upon this earth that brought forth these, this flood of waters. Specifically, it's because of the iniquity and the sinfulness and the ungodliness that had become so rampant and so common in the way of earth. You'll notice with me also that a statement interestingly is made in verses 6 and 7. It makes mention that violence and corruption had become the order of the day. Think how far mankind had fallen in but a mere 1,656 years. God had made it in sinless fashion, in beautiful character, and now there was violence, corruption, iniquity, sin, things that were opposed to the teaching and will of God. Perhaps in this there's a great lesson for us. As God brought forth this sentence, may we each take careful note that there's going to be another occasion in which something in parallel order will occur. So often in the lives of individuals today, there is sinfulness and a great amount of it. There are many who have no interest in the things of Jesus. The church is not important to them. In fact, they live in a lawless fashion, giving no consideration to the things of God. But God is taking notice. And there will come a day when they too will answer to the God of heaven for the iniquity, the rebellion that they've wrought, and the fact they've ignored the Savior. In Matthew 25 beginning in verse 31, Jesus gave us a picture of the judgment. And He noted there's going to be a separation, those on the left and those on the right. And they're even cataloged as goats and sheep. And as those on the left are addressed, it says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Just as surely as a flood of waters came and destroyed those sinful ones who did not obey and turn their life to God, so too at that day of judgment there will be a tremendous destruction of kind as those are forever removed from the presence of anything godly and forever they shall be in everlasting punishment. Perhaps the flood, if anything, should help us see that God takes sin very seriously. He didn't ignore it in that day, and He will not ignore it today. But maybe that points us to a second lesson. Our God is a tremendous God of love, isn't He? And He gave the individuals of that day warning. In fact, in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 6, there is a passage that seemingly points us to the realization that God gave a period of time in which He gave Noah instructions to preach and to warn and to tell and to teach them with the hope, of course, that many would be brought to realize the urgency of their choices and they would repent. But they did not. Verse number 3 again says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be at hundred and twenty years. At the time God made that announcement to Noah, He in essence seemingly said, Noah, the human race, the evil, the ungodliness that is now characteristic of it, I'm not always going to put up with this. The verse closes by saying, His day shall be in 120 years. It would appear God said, Noah, 120 years is all there's going to be, and then this flood's coming. 
during this period, they have an opportunity to hear, an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to change. Our God is a God of warning, isn't He? Just as surely as that information is therein stated, New Testament writers also join in the discussion. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we have this interesting statement, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, reminding us that Noah apparently preached in power, in might, in thoroughness, and in great interest the nature of God's coming flood, trying to help them see the matter and the urgency of it. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 20, that same kind of idea is mentioned when there Christ once suffered the just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. Peter's discussion of it, though, takes this interesting turn that this same Christ in spirit preached to those before the flood. Apparently that was a reference to the way in which Noah proclaimed the greatness and power of the need for repentance. But we will remember that only eight souls were saved. All the preaching apparently that Noah did fell on deaf ears except to his own family. There, I wonder how many individuals heard Noah more than once preach the urgency of repentance. The urgency, there's a flood coming. And yet apparently they thought nothing of it. Doesn't that remind us that you and I too have been warned? There is a day of judgment coming. And just as surely as on that occasion the flood did come just as God promised, so too there is coming a day of reckoning. God's not going to ignore it just because we aren't ready. That day of judgment is coming and God has warned us. Only those pleasing will be the ones that have obeyed. In Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The need for obedience. And wasn't it this thought that prompted Peter to say in 1 Peter 4, 17, If judgment begin first at the household of God, where shall the righteous and the ungodly appear? It is an interesting thing to contemplate that the principle at least set forth there reminds us that there is a day of judgment coming. Romans 2.16 reminds us that the God of heaven shall judge us according to the gospel. We've been warned. What about our third lesson of the morning? In addition to these two, the next thing to notice is what was the character of this flood? There have been some who have asserted that this flood was just a local one that occurred over there in the Middle Eastern part of the world. That it only affected maybe the modern-day countries of what we'd call Iraq and Iran, perhaps. But that simply wasn't true. This flood covered every square inch of the surface of this whole planet. And in fact, not just that. Genesis 7 verses 15 and 16 tell us the very highest mountain the very highest hill was covered by many feet of water. This whole planet was covered over with water. This wasn't just some local flood that happened in a far distant place. I would submit and help us appreciate too that that has a great importance to us, doesn't it? Every single human was impacted by that flood. What about today? 
isn't it going to be in a parallel thing concerning the majesty and greatness of that day of judgment? Every one of us will in fact stand on that occasion before the judgment bar of the God of heaven. No person will be exempted. No person will be able to avoid it. No person will be able to successfully evade that event. The global character of that flood reminds us of the text in Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Those of us living today, those of us that lived a hundred years ago, those who lived a thousand years ago, those who lived 4,000 years ago, all are going to stand before the judgment presence of God. Furthermore, no matter how long God allows the earth to stand, another 100,000 years maybe, even they are going to have to be judged. Thus, the nature of that flood as described should remind us that all of us too will stand before the judgment presence of the greatness of God. But maybe a fourth lesson. Even besides these, it would certainly seem from the reading of the book of Genesis as well as the Lord's reference to these events in Matthew chapter 24 that the flood was a tremendous surprise to many, many people. In fact, you'll remember that Jesus said that they're giving in marriage, they're marrying, they're engaging in the orderly activities of what would be a typical set of ideas. And yet the floodwaters came. They had heard Noah preach. Many of them no doubt scoffed and mocked at him, for it would seem that there had been no water come upon the earth by way of rain up until that time. Maybe they thought Noah was a crazy man. Maybe they thought he was simply strange. Maybe they thought he simply was out of his mind. Maybe they thought that he didn't know what he was talking about. That didn't change the fact that Noah preached in sincerity and in earnestness and in truth. And later when Jesus made reference to that same thought in Matthew 24, He was using it to teach about the, His own second coming. He said, just as they were marrying and giving in marriage, they were eating and drinking, they were going about life as normal, but the floodwaters came. So too, apparently, it shall be at the end of time. People are going to be living just as normal. Individuals will have been warned, but they will have ignored it. They will have approached their life and do all the normal things, but then it's going to end because Jesus is going to come back. Or they're going to pass away in death. Does that not remind us of the seriousness of the fact we ought not be surprised? We should live each day ready for the second coming, for it could be any time. The Lord could come back tomorrow. He could come back Tuesday. Furthermore, you and I may not be here then. Even if He doesn't come, you and I may die. We could be in a wreck. We could be, in fact, under some kind of other disaster. It may be our heart stops beating. Whatever it be, our life in the flesh could no longer be. We ought not be surprised. We ought to live ready to meet our Maker. And live in such a fashion like Noah and his family, they had climbed aboard that ark because God said so. They were ready for the waters. Are you and I ready for the judgment? Are we ready for the judgment? We're told in the New Testament that none of us know what day that's going to be. Matthew, Mark 13, 32. But we must live each day because the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. And no one knows when the thieves are going to come. 
isn't it fair to also say that the Hebrew writer pointed this fact to us in Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. These four lessons have prompted us to give serious reflection to some parallel lessons we can see from that flood. Maybe very quickly we can also note some additional ones. We can also see, interestingly, that there was a way of safety. Noah and his family had labored for a long time to build an ark. They built it exactly as God had said. They followed the number of square feet, the pattern of the number of stories, the number of doors, all of it exactly as God had pointed forth to them. So to today, a moment ago, we noted there's also coming a day of judgment. And God is a God of warning, and His warning highlights the following thought. There is also an ark today. Noah and his family had an ark that could save them. What's the ark that will save you and me from the day of judgment? What's the ark that will allow us to be saved from the wrath of the God of heaven upon those who are sinful? It is this very matter that Peter addresses in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 21 of that chapter, Peter made this statement. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The like figure. Peter says in the same way that they were able to board the ark and be saved, so too we are baptized. And just as we are thus buoyed above the matter of sin because Christ's blood cleanses us from that, we too, like they, can experience a salvation. Isn't it interesting then to notice you and I have access to a marvelous ark. That ark of salvation ushers us into the church. It allows us to enjoy fellowship one with another and more importantly with God Himself. 1 John 1 verses 5 to 7. In that way we might then ask ourselves the very honest and pertinent question, Am I aboard the ark? Have you and I been baptized for the remission of our sins? If so, are we living faithfully until death? Revelation 2.10 If so, we too are enjoying the safety and security and loving character of being aboard that ark. But if we are outside that ark, if we are not yet upon it, or if we have been on it but have chosen to leave it by not being faithful to the church, that brings us to lesson six. Too late. Picture yourself in the following scenario. You've heard Noah preach. Perhaps for years you have watched him strive to build that ark, and little by little you've watched the boards come together, and it's much larger than it once was. You've listened to him in earnestness, trying to remind you and point out the fact there's coming a flood. Be ready. But you've never taken any interest in what he had to say. Again, as far as you could tell, there was coming no flood. You had no sincerity, no interest in it. Suddenly you watch Noah and his family go into the ark and the door is closed. Perhaps you chuckle and laugh. That crazy man. Why is he going into the ark? But then suddenly the waters start pouring out of the heavens. And from the deep below up they come and suddenly you get worried. Is it going to stop? If so, when? And with each passing hour, the water is getting deeper and deeper. 
You start climbing trees and yet the water is still rising. You start climbing little hills and yet the water is still rising. Now your heart's racing because you're panicking. Noah's safe in the ark, but I'm not. And there's nothing I seemingly can do now. It's too late. Finally, the water is up to your, basically your nostrils, your nose. You can't climb anywhere any higher. And yet the water is still rising. Death is imminent. You know you're going to drown. There's nothing now you can do and you start wondering, if only I had listened to Noah. Dozens of times he told me. Dozens of times he preached to me. Dozens of times he offered to help me understand, but yet I laughed. I ignored him. I rejected it. But now it's too late. I wonder if that's going to happen to so many come the day of judgment. Suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, the Lord's going to come back. And all those individuals who've lived in such a reckless fashion, ignorant of, sometimes purposefully, the nature of Christ, and they've never thought anything was going to happen, and then suddenly, it's too late. All opportunities for obedience are now gone. Lesson number seven. Isn't it amazing that there was a newness afterward? After God purged the sin from this earth, after He'd washed it clean in the waters of that flood, finally, that ark came to rest on dry land, knowing His family stepped forth onto a clean land. It had been cleansed from sin in the sense that all those who had been guilty were now dead. But you and I all know how that story ended. Humans were still given the opportunity to make their own decisions, and they chose to sin again. Sin again became the order of the day after a while, didn't it? You and I look for new heavens and a new earth. You see, you and I look for a place, not like this physical earth, but a new heavens, a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. 2 Peter 3.13 As you and I look forward to that, we know that that's going to be the aftermath of the day of judgment. Those that are ready for that day have been baptized for the remission of their sins, have lived faithfully till death. They will be ushered into the grandeur of heaven itself. And forevermore there will be no worries, no problems, and no sin. But for all of those that were not ready, and they stand before God that day and are condemned in sin, you'll notice that there's no newness for them. They're going to be, in fact, cast into a place where the fire never is quenched, Mark 9, verses 43 and following, a place where the worm dieth not, a place of such difficulty, such torment. Maybe these pictures are fitting ways to finish it. Here's pictures of floodwaters at one time or another on this planet. I might suggest, where might you and I be? In that top picture, there's a man struggling because the flood waters have reached to the upper part of his abdomen area, but he's still able to survive. In that bottom one, all that's left is a hand. His head's beneath water. The flood waters have covered him. Where do you reside today in your relationship to the Lord? Are you going down a second or third time like in the second picture? Do you need to come back to the Lord today in faithfulness? Maybe you've never become a Christian. If so, you have no hope for the day of judgment at this point. For only the blood of Christ can make you ready. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse your sin and allow you to stand justified and right. As we close this lesson this morning, we've studied about a flood of waters and have sought to learn some things that could help us. 
as we live in a way that's pleasing unto God, we have simply seen that these flood waters did come. There might be some in our world today who claim Noah's flood was just a figment of the imagination, but the Bible says it happened and it happened. And we today still appreciate the greatness of it because of these seven lessons we've learned this morning. As you and I examine ourselves currently, are you and I in the faith? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. If you are not a faithful member of the body of Christ, there could be two possible reasons for that this morning. It could be you have never become a Christian initially. If that's the condition of your life, realize that Jesus died for you and that He gave a plan of salvation. He makes an ark available. Will you not board it today? You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life. Confess His great name as the Son of God and be baptized. If we could assist you in that way today, why not today? If you have been a member of that body, but you for some reason have gotten off the ark, you've chosen to do your own thing and go your own way. Come back to your first love, will you not? Revelation 2.5, let us pray with you and for you. That will be a beneficial thing upon your repentance and confession of those sins. If we could be of help to you today, will you not let that be known while together we stand and while we sing?